You're listening to Raft City Radio, your underground overwater home of the latest news about the Callisto 6. My name is Mitch, aka Kung Fu Panzer, and with me I have... Laurent, designation P.A. Blackhawk. KC, designation Phoenix, P-H-E-O-N-Y-X. As, designation Captain Tiny. Craig, a.k.a. V. Kim Spout. And I'm a Kato Kato who Katos. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's get a recap recap that recaps, and then get into the discussion. Discussion, discussion, the discussions? The discussion, discussion that may also discussion. It has been weeks since the public found out about Cassium's secret genetic experiments, and as the vote of Measure Z grows ever closer, Kylan Krauss, the CEO of Pyramid Star, has disappeared. Meanwhile, the Callisto-6 have found a cure for Sal's necrotic tissue, though his lifespan still seems to be limited, and Lacey has been trying to open the pod they recovered from Cassium's forest research lab. The pod itself has been extensively trapped, and Lacey has been carefully undoing these traps so that they can open the pod without hurting the person inside. Lacey has gathered everyone because they believe they are ready to open it. Everyone stands back, unsure of what will happen as the pod's lid slides back. Instantly, the occupant sits up. Dressed in rags that appear to have been improvised from various lab clothes, with a tattoo of concentric circles and lines over his face, and wearing implants visible on the side of his head, the figure looks a little like Kylan Krause. Then he is gone, turning off the light switch and running out of the room in a blur. As they follow him, Anton tries to wrap his arms around him, but he is too fast. He runs from room to room, taking stock of where he is, but finds he can't remember. He asks where Dr. Patel is, and the group try to explain, but he says there's no such thing as Callisto 6. Luma tries to demonstrate by turning into the stranger, but he freaks out and throws her against the wall. She changes to hops, and he asks if she has pockets, immediately darting to Oya and stealing her wallet to check her ID. They ask for his name, and he asks for their experiment number. He is CV127S, Project Synapse. Sal identifies himself as C91, and the others as C6. Editors note, as they are later experiments than Sal or Synapse, Sal likely meant CV1, not C6. Synapse is very confused. He remembers seeing both a clone of himself and a Japanese woman who filled him with dread. Lacey tells him his tracker is disabled, and he remembers the moment when Dr. Patel did that, just in case he got out. On the TV behind him, Onoko is speaking, via a sign interpreter who translates her sign, announcing that she has been appointed interim CEO of Pyramid Star after the disappearance of Kraus. Lacey does a scan of Synapse and his implants. The implants give access to monitoring of his nervous system, While he's active, there's an incredible growth of energy in the nervous system that then discharges throughout the body, and no memory is formed during these times. Lacey removes the implants. He is not an experiment anymore. Hops refuses to call him a number, and thanks to Sal, they nickname him Snaps. Hops gets a call from her mother, overjoyed at the arrival of a special guest. They rush over. Hops brings just Luma with her, not wanting to overwhelm her mum. Sitting, drinking tea, is the corporate Krauss clone. Luma calls for help and Snaps just starts throwing the others into the apartment. Then he throws Mrs. Hopper into the bedroom and closes the door. The corporate clone asks for their protection, then sees Snaps and freaks out. The two of them try to establish if either of them is Fletcher, and Cass asks, which arsehole are you? The corporate clone is reluctant to name his pursuer, Onoko. Then Lacey and Snaps resolve to bring him to the dropship. They leave Hops to explain to her mother and return to the ship. Hobbs tries different explanations, but her mother rejects all of them, including the truth, and in the end she gives up and goes back to her VR war games, upset with her daughter. In the ship, Krauss says their generations of clones have been less capable of taking on the consciousness, 
which is why she is watching them. The impression of the Fletcher mind onto the clones is not limited to Krause clones. Dr. Blair was one. Snap suggests it may be possible to topple the entire hierarchy, with the right intacts on the right targets. Onoko certainly, and perhaps the labs where the clones are produced, if they can find them. They drop the corporate clone in the warehouse where Hop's trained, and head back to Lacey's shop. Lacey asks Snaps to keep an eye on them while they do something dangerous, as they don't want their friends to know and worry. He agrees, and they sink into the dark. They call out a greeting to Tails, who appears. Lacey gives them the data about what they are, no information about the others with Callisto 6. Tails shows Lacey what it sees, recordings from surveillance footage of all of them. Tails says that it wants to cause pain, so that it no longer feels alone. Lacey says that it must not have been alone once. It lost something. Tails agrees, but it cannot remember what. Tails shows Lacey the fox avatar, which it has absorbed in order to have more control in their world. Lacey tells Tails that it shouldn't do that, but Tails says it is too late. It is about to change, to become greater. It wants to see what happens if everyone has powers, like Lacey and their friends were given. It shows them a large canister of Callisto-6 energy, Onoko and a few scientists. It is about to release the energy. Lacey swims back up to the surface, in the real world. There is a pulsing, booming sound. A yellow light is erupting in a column. Then an EMP-like wave ripples out, deactivating all technology, including Honeybee and Aurora, Lacey's chair. Luma rushes to Lacey and their mind link communicates everything. Together they explain to the others. They need to get to the centre of the power source as fast as possible. Together, Hops and Lacey work on bringing the dropship and Sweet Baby back online. As they fly over the city, there is no power, not even backup generators. Slowly, a few lights flicker on. They land by a corporate train, unconscious people scattered around. They are looking for specific people. Snaps finds one, then gives up and just unloads the train, throwing everyone out, including Onoko. Lacey tries to examine Onoko's tech and finds that much of her body is cybernetic. In listening for tales in Onoko's mind, Lacey finds not only neurocybernetic implants, but also a base personality, suppressed by the Fletcher consciousness's control. They all hear the sounds of an oncoming train. Snaps runs to locate it, and Luma calls him back to ask for a lift. Snaps takes her, Anton and Cass, and throws them up a ladder, but he trips and falls down the elevation at the side of the tracks. Oya tries to turn the magnets off by turning back time to when they were in a different state. Cass, meanwhile, rips the door off, and the three of them swing in. Cass tears the door to the driver off, while Anton and Luma usher people back to the back of the train. Cash punches through the train to the bottom, and briefly uses her foot as a brake, though her foot twists in pain. Oya stands her ground as the train barrels towards her, and slows time. The train stops. We see a news report. The newsreader is reporting sightings of super-beings, humans demonstrating incredible powers, but she is interrupted. Results from the Measure Z vote are about to be announced. So that was issue 12. We had a lot happen in this season finale. Measure Z is on the table. The revolution is beginning. But just kind of off the top of that, what did everyone think? I have so many questions, and there were so many cliffhangers. We had a Tallison. We did we have did a Tallison. Tallison. He was great. Yes. And when have... isn't a Tallison a great thing? Let me just say, we also had like three separate cliffhangers right in a, in a row. Oh, right? <laughs> it was the it was a panted clamble cliffhanger, just one after the other. Cubed. Yeah. 
It was a sea stack of a cliffhanger, really. Maybe a C6 stack? <laughs> How dare you. Kato? Oh, just, it was an episode where the dynamic of the whole, the balance of the whole city shifted significantly multiple times throughout the episode. Um, it was a really interesting episode. I think it wasn't entirely clear going into it where we were going to be at the end or what we were trying to sort of aim for. Uh, so it made for a really interesting finale. Yeah, definitely. And it's did what a finale should do in set up a, and pose a lot of questions. So get us all excited you, for season two. That is entirely the opposite of what a finale should do, but sure, my dude. I mean, a, a season finale that has already been confirmed for a second season. I still think there should be, in finales, you should be able to tie up the narrative of your first season. Like, I, I don't agree necessarily that what you should do is take all of your plot threads and then make a bunch more plot holes or, like, bit, pose a, a whole num- new set of yeah. questions. You should, you know, in the same way that a film should stand on, on its own and not be begging for a sequel, you should be able to sort of tie up a single season and say the main narrative arcs of the whole season were resolved, there's some potential for what will happen in season two, but you still should have that ending and that conclusion of the first arc. So I think the start of the episode was really interesting where we had the pod, we had the small kind of couple of week time skip, and then we had Synapse. My boy! (laughs) <laughs> I think the best introduction we've had to a guest. Definitely. <laughs> With the okay, panic, run. Yes. <laughs> Good reaction, to be honest. If you've been held captive and just been released, you probably might want to just try to run away from anyone trying to stick you back in the case. Pretty much. It was a pretty logical act. But I think it's it- also so typical Talison too. Oh, yeah. I'm just gonna do something real quick. <laughs> yeah, just give me very a quick in this case. <laughs> yeah, the 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 name of the project that he was, uh, and the, the power set brought back a lot of old City of Heroes feels because one of the main uh, NPCs in that game in a group called the Freedom Phalanx was a speedster named Synapse. So maybe miss that game again. <laughs> Oh. I'm just really pleased that Talison keeps getting to play speedsters because the Flash is his favorite, and it's just he has so much fun <laughs> with it. And he's like, I'm basic. It's like um, uh, Hector with Mister Fantastic. He's like, I'm just basically Wally West now. <laughs> Barry or die. Um, Tell that to Talison. <laughs> I want to jump on Casey's comment about labels and yes. the names of the project really quick because this got very complicated and not entirely clear. So Synapse is meant to have come from the Callisto 5 project, known as Callisto V, which is why his number, his experiment number, is CV127S. This contrasts with Sal, whose number is C91, and who might be considered as being from Callisto 1 or Callisto 0. In theory, that makes our guys, the Callisto 6 people, people whose experiment number would be CVI and then a number. However... Synapse talks to Sal and says, are those guys C6? Not CVI, just C6. And Sal agrees with him that they're C6, which means they are an earlier experiment even than Sal, who is C91, because they're like the literal sixth experiment. I assume it was meant to be CVI, which would be the correct for the nomenclature 
naming system to put them later than synapse and later than cell. But I was just like, ah, oh, you guys are not scientists. You need to label things better. <laughs> yeah, Come but on. They're not scientists. They're corporations. Corporations have scientists. Yes. It's fine. Look at Apple. It's fine. <laughs> they went 789X. I mean, uh, they actually did not have nine. Oh no, nine. Yeah, seven, eight, X. Like, don't expect corporations <laughs> to be logical. Or Xbox, which went Xbox three sixty, then one. It's just. I think you made X bone. Yeah. Windows seven, eight, eight point one, and ten. There is an Friend actual technical reason why there they didn't have I nine. I understand that. But they also went from like Windows two thousand. Guys, doesn't XP. matter. Kato. However. The fact that Sal is experiment C91 and the experiments we see uh, at the Cassian base are C92 suggests that there is already a project that is called C6 that existed earlier than Sal. So there is no, like, it is perfectly fine to say, oh, we would give it a slightly weird name that doesn't follow from the previous name. That's fine. What you cannot do without becoming incredibly confusing is name it after a thing that already exists. That would be like if PlayStation went, PlayStation 1, or like PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation. Because then you have two things that are named the literal exact same. And that is not how labels work. Yeah, that is bad. It's okay, it's a soft reboot. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that they were supposed to be like, if you look at the serial number a little bit in depth, the first two like binders, I would say, before, uh, say, attack. So... Like let's um, what was what was uh, Synapse's number was CV, TAC something 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 TAC S correct? Yeah, but said all together so CV one two seven S. It wasn't clear whether there's a TAC in it between any yeah. places. And I, there was a very I, clear shift from CV to mm -hmm. numbers to letters. They were very kind of clear about. And if you were going from numbers to numbers, you'd have to say oh, oh it's it's C five dash one seven one two seven S because yep. that's the only way to clarify between. Yeah. Uh, C-5 and C-5-. Yeah, and so that would denote sets. So I'm thinking that there is a C-series, which is Sal, C-series uh, 0 or 1. He's C-92, or C-91, and there's a C-92, but that's the first set. Then there are three other, three or four other sets. Then we have Synapses series, which is CV, whatever the serial numbers for all those things, S, whatever and then what should be the next set is a c6 now it should be cvi if they're going on correctly but there is even a well-known numbering system that doesn't necessarily have these tags or things like that but placeholders have an, a specific meaning and that would be vehicle identification numbers so Lauren. if you break <laughs> like that's absolutely fine i agree with you that is what mm -hmm. they were going for however yeah. in order to clarify that you would have to clarify the difference between c-6 and c-6 anything which yep. they didn't do explicitly so yep. like i agree with you that's what they were going for and i agree that that's the thing but it just really frustrates me because like there is already enough confusing shit going on this episode <laughs> we cannot have the question of whether these guys are an scientific experiment that comes after synapse or before sal and we have now confused the time stream sufficiently because of that labeling thing that we don't know when their exposure to the energy comes in terms of experiment chronology. Yeah. Of course, we're all assuming that Taddison didn't just misspeak. Uh, well, Sal confirmed it, so Eric misspoke. They had to, they have <laughs> to both, both misspoke. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. <laughs> I completely agree that I think they were spoken, but they need to correct it in the universe because until they do, it is a point of chronological, chronological questionability. So beyond, like, so beyond this, that is terribly <laughs> nonsensical and unimportant, let's focus on something Very that important. it is Absolutely not in the slightest Cato. <laughs> you just ranted for five minutes about a number. Let's actually rant about the fact that he's a a Krauss avatar. It's the number that is the title of the show, Mitchell. (laughs) No, the the title of the show is Callisto 6, not C6XYZ. Like, and it is 6 because of the amount of people. Technically CVI. Guys, I I will hang up this call. (laughs) I will turn this car around. (laughs) I will turn this podcast around. Why in Z weren't even Roman numerals? We were introduced in much more detail this episode to the concept of a Kraus avatar and what exactly that means. And Synapse being one of them is a really interesting character moment. Yeah, Mystical I bullshit. <laughs> I think it's very predictable. Like, he's a guy who wants power. He'd want superpowers. He, like, explicitly wanted superpowers for himself from the very beginning. Thing. They cut him off from everybody else once they yeah. manif- yeah. once his powers manifested. Yeah, that's the most interesting thing, is that exposure to Callisto 6 energy is explicitly cr- protective against Fletcher possession. Very handy. Which, like, like that's, that's interesting to note in a city that has just been massively exposed to Callisto energy. My theory is that, and this is what I think have been thinking since we've seen the energy and the fact that there have been refinements is that Fletcher's end goal is to have himself and his clones be the only supers with this C6 energy and then inhabit those clones. That was the original plan. And then Dr. Patel went and exposed a completely random set to the refined C6 energy. Too bad, so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get dunked. Um, Or as Lark Sage would say, whoopsie doodle. (laughs) So I think it's... Synapse presents a really interesting kind of look into Fletcher Krauss's kind of method and everything about that in the implants and everything that have been put into this poor person where everything is being recorded from their nervous system to every single brain impulse and it is horrible. Arguably, it's a really good idea given he literally cannot remember anything he does while at super speed. Like, I appreciate it was definitely done to keep track of him, but, like, it also is a hugely important thing to do if you have someone with transient anterograde amnesia to, like, if you can monitor what happens when they have those moments, that's important. For the same reason, like, if you have a seizure, it's quite important to record it or to have someone to record it so that medical professionals can see what's happening. Um, But I don't believe that that was the intent. No, but it is... (laughs) it, It is actually very useful and important and a secondary positive that someone should at least have been checking that he wasn't like actively hurting himself when it's live telemetry live biometric yeah. telemetry yeah it sounds like he actively is hurting himself oh definitely goes to speed mm-hmm. um like he did describe it as being stroke like uh it definitely sounds like his 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 thalamus and his amygdala just kind of get broken and it's impossible to create new memory for that moment but um yeah he's he's an interesting and incredibly unhealthy character using a ridiculous amount of speed fairly on brand for talison yeah. yeah i also love that the first thing he does is like jack everyone's wallets and look through ids <laughs> and then he forgets exactly what he's doing <laughs> right away amazing it was a, it was good to be played for comedy right it was yeah. wonderful 
I think is also really interesting because with uh, our our main group, our main cast with this Callisto Six energy, you haven't really seen, bar Anton's inability to stay in a form, we haven't really seen any downsides to their powers in the way that we see very obvious downsides with Talisons, in that if he goes to super speed, he can't remember what he does. That's a really interesting and really intriguing disadvantage yeah and it's a really interesting side effects that comes of super speed that i've not actually seen with other speedsters mm. and it also it, it's kind of reflective in the fact that he's so powerful yeah he has a three shift in speed which is very very strong i think lacy is a three shift in intellect yeah a three shift in anything is quite significant it's massive yeah especially for a tier one character I th- I believe that he would have been a tier two character at least. While we're talking, while we're talking disadvantages, I think uh, I mean, Zach Cobalt also had significant disadvantages in that he facing that reality. Yeah, that, yeah. that is a problem. Um, yeah, we're of... also seeing we're also seeing the recurrence of Hops having to spend intellect for undeclared reasons that may or may not be connected to the fact that she literally cannot sleep. Um, Exhaustion, basically. But no, see, the problem is that it was established in canon that she never felt tired and couldn't sleep. And it seems strange to me to call for intellect spends from her pool because she is exhausted while not giving her any physical sign of exhaustion or saying to Hops, you feel tired. Because the last thing we heard about Hops was you feel buzzed and you you have no sense of ever being tired or ever needing sleep, so you just keep going. And that has been continuous for probably going on a month now in real, in world. It's something akin to combat adrenaline. So I'm what I'm thinking is that Hops' superpower is kind of supercharging her. And it's giving her basically the biggest adrenaline rush five ever, basically. But it shouldn't last this long. Like, she's yeah, had periods sh- of downtime. It shouldn't, she should but... be able to relax. Yeah, it shouldn't, but because of her power, I think this is her drawback, is the fact that unless she has a way of bleeding off all that energy, she starts basically going on this extended adrenaline junk trip that makes her lose stuff without noticing it. Just as, like, you know, combat stresses with, say, a Marine who has been up for the past 32 hours because they're invading Iraq in an open-top Humvee, is going to have deleterious effects, even though in the moment he's not feeling it. But she's not in the moment all the time. Like, And the problem is she does significantly drain her power by like putting loads of power into Sal and doing other things. And I think there hasn't been a moment for Hops in character to have that realisation. And I feel like there should be by now. There like, should if be, Mechanically, yeah. you are deleting stuff from her intellect pool, which you are in order... And we're assuming that that is because... It's because she hasn't slept, which it may not be. Like, that should be something that has a, an effect in-game. Like, you should be able to feel that as a character. That should not just be a silent subtraction. Yeah, it's really interesting, and just because we see across the board really only two characters suffering strong weaknesses to their powers. For now. For now. But not even the slightest inkling of a weakness for the other four. We obviously had Anton. And that uh, was a big thing. Oya's hands. Yeah, Oya's hands is another one. Another one, but there's also the whole thing of that was her controlling it. 
But we also, uh, but also, the hands thing doesn't seem to be a significant downside. It seems to be a side effect, but it doesn't seem to be affecting her physically or having any kind of detriment on her everyday ability or her ability to use her powers. So it's an interesting thing that's coming of her powers and it is a bit weird and kooky and it is probably to do with the fact that she's either overusing it or not not controlling it it was but also eric but we're not seeing a significant detriment to her in the same way that we are with say hops or anton we've not seen a mechanical detriment for oya but we also haven't seen a mechanical detriment for anton it was just that, that he'd, he'd go into goop um so and i think it's harder because like mitch says the moment when we saw that from Oya, it was Eric being Oya and not Elisa. So I think if we'd seen Elisa experiencing that moment as Oya, Eric would have been able to more mechanically express the downside that she was feeling. I think Eric's got, yeah, I think Eric's got some uh, downsides that are planned, but we haven't had the time to go ahead and trip over them. Although we should have, but because of the format of Callisto 6, uh, we had to get to this point by this date by this session it also there's plenty of options it could be that she's not absorbing enough power and that's what's happening but we're not really sure and this may be something that needs to be solved in the future any downsides are something i'd love to see explored in season two it'd be very interesting just to see what all the other characters might start suffering a detriment from using extensive use of their powers for sure but I think um, to talk about the opposite of uh, the downside, Synapse is really goddamn fast at an instantaneous acceleration. He How makes the physics, physics as well as bio. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the physics? He hits 200 miles an hour, or like, for people who use real units, 320 kilometers <laughs> an hour. That's like as fast as a Formula One car at max speed. Yeah, and it's like instantaneous. In, in, in an instant. Yeah, these people can talk talk to talk to each other mind to mind. So you know. Yeah, I know. So also, many like, jeez, anyone that would have been carried by him should be dead. Yeah. I think there's certainly a flash thing of like, there's a weird like force field he generates from his body that protects like him from the effects of going super fast with friction and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and also, he can like project it if he's carrying something. So like. It's not impossible that that exists. Because, oh yeah, like, it's, at that speed, which is why he hasn't killed a lot time. of people yet. <laughs> Definitely capable so that, of it that we saw. Everyone is capable of killing people, Mitch. This is not exclusive to people with superpowers. Yes, but I was more talking about the these the um yes he has the capacity for it as we saw when he was savagely beating Oniko. Hmm. So that brings us to the other big reveal of the episode, which is essentially that. Everyone is at least a little bit possessed by Fletcher. Yeah, um, this is friggin' wild. <laughs> this is where I'm going to go on a bit of a uh, a Kato rant vis-a-vis the numbers. <laughs> because I f- had to maybe watch this bit twice or three times to kind of even understand really what they... And I mean, I, I don't know if he, they were being Eric and Tal were being deliberately obtuse and vague, but I was as confused as the rest of them. They were like, they're talking about this central power source, but actually there's no real hive mind. And the piece of Fletcher is put into all of them when they're grown, but only some of them are chosen to be avatars. And it it was quite deliberately vague and obtuse. And 
it didn't make a lot of sense how they were describing it. I get that they were like, it's really difficult. He's some weird eldritch, unknowingly old beast. That's kind of what I'm getting from this. But at the same time, it's like you could try and explain it a bit better. But I think part of that was them going, uh, it's like trying to explain happiness without using the word happy or a colour without using the name of the colour. I, I think that, I think Eric is deliberately keeping something back here. Um, it's It just seems, the, the way they were describing it was kind of was kind of vague. It did seem, and frankly, yeah, I, I struggled to understand exactly what <laughs> this Fletcher mindset was. But I, I reckon Eric is probably just keeping something back for later on that's my gut feeling can i i think it's very like a cult um the ones that aren't directly possessed have tendencies that are built into them uh arguably biologically in this sense because they're all cloned and they're all raised in such a way that they uh have these predispositions towards serving fletcher and being well disposed to them but it's also kind of Unless you are the leader, you're not the one in active control and you're not the one being actively possessed, but you're still in a cult. So you're still going to really struggle to have independent thought and will outside of the cult because that's how cults work. The the sort of separation from that is like, everyone is very defeatist about their own personalities. Both the corporate clone we meet and Snaps are both kind of like, well, we couldn't have done anything. We were being controlled and it's very oppressive and you don't understand until you've lived it what it's like to be influenced by Fletcher. But Cass is right in that they do have choices. And the corporate clone in particular is very like, I didn't have a choice. I was being totally controlled. I had no free will. I couldn't have changed anything at all. And I don't think that's true. I think there was potentially the, the fact that you could have struggled and you could have resisted. And he's not a bad person for doing that because people are not bad people for being taken in by cults. But I think he was very keen to say, I had no choice. Possession was ultimate and I couldn't have done anything because that meant he wasn't guilty for doing anything while he was being uh, essentially the king of LA. And I think that's unfair. I think he's he's trying to avoid taking responsibility for some stuff that he did have control over and it wasn't just Fletcher all the time. Definitely. It also raises a few interesting things with regards to this whole cloning operation. So one thing is we do need to take everything said in this conversation with a grain of salt because it has come from a Kraus, who are confirmed liars. With no insight check. Again. With no insight checks. <laughs> like, guys, come on. There's a mechanism for taking insight, and you can get the absolute truth from the GM, which given this is like the third or fourth iteration of this conspiracy we have heard... We have met five Kylans. Yeah. But even, like, we've heard Six. the different stories... We've heard the different stories from, like, uh, Kylan Cow's... Krauss is just a dude who's in a lot of control, to Kylan Krauss uh, is secretly his own father, and he owns all of LA, to now Kylan Krauss is, like, the cover story for an incredibly complicated, not entirely human hive mind that controls a bunch of people. And, like, at some point you should inside check some of that, because at the moment, again, this goes back to some of the problems we had in S.H.I.E.L.D., where, like, if there's a twist every episode or every other episode, particularly related to a single idea... At some point, you're like, well, I don't trust anything now. Like, I don't even believe that this is the deepest level of conspiracy. It goes deeper, and then you just 
are in a bottomless pit of conspiracy for the rest this of your life. This is how you end up with tinfoil hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, Cass was very much like, I don't believe you. How can I trust you? That is the point Inside where... Inside it, check, was right yes. there, it was right there, It was right there. So we, we had a, a few extra little things. Like, we've confirmed that Jerome was a was a clone. And yeah. Oh, and somehow the clones don't look like each other? That's just genetic mm-hmm. manipulation. Like, they, they're they making superpowers. They can do whatever the hell they want. I mean, I suppose. <laughs> I still don't like it. That's fair. That's not how clones work. Stop calling them clones. They are clones, but not of the same line. Exactly. So there's the Kylan clone and the Jerome clone, and those are clones of two different bases. But they oh also God, specifically said that all of the clones <laughs> don't look like each other. Yeah, so it's, it's essentially like they've just made Lego people. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this guy is the scientist. This one is mm-hmm. the politician. This one is the assassin. Like, oh, okay, okay. And okay, they okay, just okay, like okay, got... Okay, okay, okay. They basically just put in the little, like... It's like they've got... Like, the implication I got was they were all clones of the same person, that, but they genetically manipulated it so they don't look like each other, which isn't cloning. No, it's it's just different flavors of packet ramen. Like, that's okay. how it is. Okay, okay, okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Same process, different flavor. Sure, I get it. I don't, okay, but, but the fine. one thing I want to raise is the one that the neutral Kylan or old man Kylan, I believe said he was raised and not born. Can someone that confirm seems that? seems a track. That is... Really different from what the story we're getting from yeah. corporate Kylan and from Synapse is that they were yeah. grown. Specifically they were grown for specifically a for a purpose and then basically came out fully formed. And we're mm-hmm. just yeah. So the one thing uh, Mitch and I were discussing earlier is because I was getting a little confused. Is uh, we're not sure whether or not there are lots of clones just running around and then one is picked, or if the need for a successor occurs and so they grow a clone and shove them out into the world so i think there's two different types so there's the grow the clone with the little bits of parts so they're like jerome and Anako and things like that those are the multiple ones and those are the raised popped out pretty much fully grown and then the successor clone is the one that's raised from a child and then like brought up in the public eye but corporate Kylan that we've just spoken to specifically said he did not have a childhood and was not raised and he was grown in a lab. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really confusing. And very yeah. conflicting very stories. Very conflicting stories, which is when you should insight check. Uh-huh. My my theory on this is sort of, uh, we're going to go to the prequels from Star Wars. Oh, no. That's not that's right. a good that place to go. Oh, no. All based off of Jango Fett. However, he said to take part of this, he wanted one clone, not be fully grown, but to raise as a son, and that son became Boba Fett. What if old man Kylan, what if old man Krauss was in a way that Boba Fett? But the thing is, we've already had confirmed that Fletcher is like indeterminately old. And isn't like a... Is, and is not an entity that can raise children. It's just an idea. There's also a problem with, like, okay, this is old man Kylan, yet the younger Kylan is supposed to be his father, and it's all a mess, because otherwise you're skipping generations, and there has to be at least one, like, clone that has grown up in the public eye, so it doesn't seem, like, weird that this other person is taking over, unless they're doing some 
mystical magical all this is basically mystical magical bullshit i think a little bit this is (laughs) and this is how you have it from centuries ago mystical magical bullshit it's confusing it it doesn't really matter i think the one that we really need to talk about is oniko can i just like absolutely not how dare you ever have an opinion on this podcast kato you're fine having robot parts does not make you less human and eric's narrations explicitly was like she's almost inhuman because she's got so many robot parts and that is my least favorite cyberpunk trope the ableistic bullshit that is if you have uh like if you have a prosthetic leg or an implant or something that like helps you to function day to day that makes you less human that is such a bullshit thing and i think he didn't intentionally mean to do it like i don't believe he holds those ableistic views but it was something he literally said as part of the supposedly unbiased narrative of the world and it's like i think the intent was that she is much more like an android than she is a cyborg but she's not she's a cyborg by definition i know she's cyborg by definition but i think that's what eric was getting at i know it's just be conscious of language be conscious of word choice be conscious of the fact that cyberpunk as a as a genre, is very bad for being ableist and this kind of thing. And I think, like, that word choice is unfortunate. And yeah. I think it's reasonable to call it out, particularly in the context of, like, the history of Onoko as a character, and particularly in contrast to the idea that she does have her own mind. There is an element of independence to Onoko that is not entirely Fletcher personality. Let her so out. I think Eric intended that as the message. But I think if you... Unquestioningly, unquestioningly imply that having less human parts or more robot parts makes you more or less human. That is, um, like, you just shouldn't do that, even as a casual part of your narrative. Like, that's still kind of bad, regardless of the other messages of the show. It's the Obi-Wan Vader thingy where he says he's more machine now than man, and it's yeah. just so bad. Not great. There also was a bit of an issue uh, with pronouns of Oniko. When... Uh, Kylan, corporate Kylan, and Synapse both referring to her as it. I think that reflects their own biases yeah. and their own tendency. Like, that was not uh, unbiased world narration. That was two people who have, like, a very specific reason to dehumanize and portray this person as a monster. And I also don't think that they were referring to Oniko. They're referring to the entity of Fletcher uh, Krauss, which has no gender. Just a thing that, that flagged. Yeah. That it's like, mm, I, I would have thought yeah. maybe that these two people would empathize with Oniko. Nope. I think like it this... is the, even if your jailer is also oppressed, it's still your jailer. That's like, true. You, you have that element of like, yes, okay, Oniko is also an individual who is being oppressed and an, an individual who, even though she is so controlled, can still be rehabilitated. These people who have been so controlled by her obviously don't have to feel empathetic towards her because their relationship has been so tormented by her a theory has just occurred to me so we're talking about the disparities between old man Krauss and i love the new nickname you've come up for them by the way guys to distinguish between who we're talking there's about there's just too one. many of them so <laughs> i flagged this ages ago when there were just two of them i was like i cannot possibly deal with calling one of them one thing and one of them the other they're gonna have to be corporate and neutral or like so yeah it's been so, a while Krauss is everywhere we- we're talking about the disparities between the stories of corporate Krauss and old man Krauss. And one of the things I've just remembered is the story that we were told by old man Krauss about Oniko and Oniko's origins. When we are explicitly told by corporate Krauss that she too was grown in a laboratory. What if 
old man Krauss has been implanted with fake memories of a childhood he never had. That's, that's possible. Yeah, possible. Possibility. Yeah. And obviously fake memories of mm. Oniko and all of this stuff. So a complete life. A bit like the guy that Harrison Falls plays in Blade Runner. Yeah. The whole kid. story about whether or not he's Decker. a replicant yeah. because whether like all of these memories and he doesn't know if they're fake or real. That's something that's just occurred to me that might account for the disparities in the story. Mm. It could well be that both of them are lying and we haven't actually heard the truth yet. That is also entirely plausible. However, that may account for the fact that he has a story about growing up and being raised where every other clone is like, well, we were grown. And also the story of Oniko. I would say that because the story that we got from Old Man Krauss was inaccurate in on some levels. Says either he is lying or he has an incomplete picture. This a lot. Like those are the two options. Th- this whole thing causes a lot of conspiracies, and I believe the main one is it's the changeling argument. Everyone is a clone, a uh, Kraus clone. Every- everyone's a changeling. Everyone's we can pretty much guarantee that every that the leaders of all the corporations are Kylans. Yeah. We can we can guarantee they're probably their number twos and their number threes are Kylans. Yep. Man, Fletcher must get so bored. He just makes people and is like, here you go. Yeah, but like, if he's actively exerting a control over any of them, he must get so bored talking to himself. Like, <laughs> hey boss, can we do this? Yeah, but, sure. But he That's doesn't have complete fine. control. That's well, no, a thing. But, you know, I, I do think, because we talked about kind of in the context of changelings, like, maybe dehumanizing and kind of terrorism and like these threats of people that you can't see and the idea that anyone could be a killer also sleeper agents yeah yeah like it is very much reflective of that kind of concept the reason i like it here perhaps more than i like it as a changeling is that i think it is an accurate reflection of things like fascism of the idea that like or the idea of the entire corporate culture is that no it shouldn't be just that you can take out kylan kraus head of pyramid star and that will totally dissolve corporate power in LA and mean that it all goes back to being in the power of the people. It should be that. There are loads of different people you have to fight and that they all are, like a hydra, in many ways, heads of the same beast. And you have to cut off all of the heads. You can't just go going, well, I removed this one figurehead and so therefore it's all sorted. I think it works for, like, the idea that you must be constantly vigilant for anyone who is trying to oppress your freedom. You must be constantly vigilant who is anyone who is trying to take uh, excessive control or too much influence or trying to sort of tend towards fascism or authoritarianism, because those kinds of evils can come in any shape. And I like that Fletcher kind of works as both, uh, as an analogy for that, in that he could literally be anywhere. Like, that entity could take hold of anyone we don't know and try to re-exert the power and control that Kylan's had here. Yeah, it's kind of that whole the Agent Smith thing in The Matrix, is you're never safe. This is my question, though, because this is where it stops making sense to me or there's a a gap in the knowledge we've been given or maybe I missed something, is that can this entity, Fletcher entity, possess anyone or is it only the clones in which he's been born into? Because they said it's not like a possession, it's like an imprint. So can he actively possess people? Because I don't think he can actively possess people. Yeah, the point is not that he can um, possess anyone, but anyone could be someone he's possessing, if that makes sense. Like, it's not that he can pick and choose from the whole population, but because we don't know what his clones look like or who they are or, like, what their names are or, like, any of their positions of power, we can't trust anyone in a position of power because any one of those people could be a plant from Kylan. Okay, yeah. Think the the Genghis Khan theory. Oh, what, that one-third of the the population is related to Genghis Khan because he raped so many women? That one. Like, he's just... 
so proliferated, whilst yeah. not actively being them, yeah, has proliferated himself to such a degree. Yeah. Okay. But there's also a thing no, of that like makes a lot more sense. This is a thing of like, is Mayor Gao a, a Fletcher? Oh boy. As a deliberate Do you know what would antagonist. Be great? Do you know what would be great? An insight check on say some of these people. <laughs> that would be amazing, but. It's they, the players haven't got time to do insight two. checks. That's clearly why they've not been doing them. Yeah, this this sets up so much potential betrayal. Like, any of the Kylans could be secretly working still with Fletcher. Any of them could be completely lying. We could get people coming up saying, I'm a Fletcher clone, and they're not. Like, there's so much nonsense <laughs> yeah to it to, to a large extent rehabilitation for these people who have been possessed by fletcher is going to have to include never being able to wield power again because of like the extent to which you could not trust that they weren't going to be recontrolled yeah and the fact that some people are sleeper agents like how do you even do anything with that i guess you have to look at you know, in the same way that you pick your politicians normally, is you have to look at their policies and say, okay, so this guy says he's going to do these things, and then he's got in office and he's done these things. And so because he's dismantled the corporate power structure and handed power back to the people, it is likely that he is not a corporate clone of a guy who wants to rule the world from the corporations, because, like, he's actively acting against their interests. And, like, even so, you shouldn't invest all of your power into a single person and all your trust in a single person like checks and balances should exist regardless of how trustworthy the person holding office is they, they should exist all the time and they should limit the power of everyone not just the people we disagree with yeah absolutely but that's the thing of like it is a very uh authoritarian thing to do to create a seeming opposition and then manipulate the events so that that opposition would never win yeah, it's better to be in charge of your own opposition after all. Exactly. You can mm. that's that way you can control what all your enemies are doing. This is why you need small localized grassroots opposition movements that aren't connected necessarily to an entire power structure at the national or federal level, but instead focus on small gains in local areas so that you're not completely screwed if one particular person is a bad person. Yes, but yeah, but Los Angeles but tried is a city. that before. <laughs> Los Angeles is a city in at least in 2119 is just controlled by one one by one corporation basically oh yeah for sure but like uh if you were trying to start the revolution here you wouldn't in place place the power of the revolution into a single person it would be small cadres broken out across the city different revolutionary groups working from different areas it would be much more guerrilla it would be much more grassroots you would be trying to seize control through multiple means uh be they like political or power in terms of corporate, or just, like, straight-up revolution and, like, violent control. Like, you would be doing it over multiple different levels, and you would have a much better, much more divided, integrated system, so that you didn't ever have one person who could be like, well, now I'm Stalin, and <laughs> I'm the king of Russia now. Cool, bye. Like, you, yeah, you... <laughs> that, that way, if one cell gets compromised, not all the others will be. This is how revolutions work, you guys. One last thing I want to say or discuss is something that I find very interesting is the notion that Fletcher Krauss, the entity of Fletcher Krauss, is impossibly old. If this is true to an extent that it's with, with if it's true to the extent that it was implied that he's hundreds if not thousands of years old, 
from what Corporate Krause's response to the question was, we can safely assume that Fletcher Krause is not a human entity. Because, or at least has access to... Or non- is no longer human. Yes. But or, but it's, it's more the fact that to have lasted this long, he either needs to be alien or have had access to alien technologies to be able to create these clones thousands of years ago. Because... At this point, yes, that technology exists, but that long ago, it just, it it didn't exist. And there's no way that without outside help or being alien himself, he would have been able to create these clones and last this long. Mythical, magical bullshit. I think he is much younger than he says, because it's totally possible given that, like, the average lifespan of a clone the oldest memory we have from the clones is old man Kylan, who is not actually that old. Like, there's no evidence that he's older than that. Because it would be easy to create a clone and be like, yes, I have lived forever. You are the latest iteration in my thousands of year control of humanity, when in fact you were created last week. And you made the clone, and then, like, there's no evidence that he goes back that far. See, but there is also a potential for a first occurrence of the Callisto energy source many, many years ago. And then centuries the, ago, centuries ago, and then C Day was Krauss's plan to replicate the Callisto energy source to then continue the plan, or possibly found a deposit, or possibly found, yeah, and caused C Day to get to it. Yeah, and his ability is this cloning slash far-reaching mind nonsense. Okay, yes, yeah, that he's, makes sense. He's he's just apocalypse, isn't he? A little bit, he yeah. He was king in ancient Egypt, and he lived forever. No, I, I and think now he's the king of mutants. I can't. I'm feeling more Vandal Savage. Okay, I think when the, we can, really matter. I think we can boil yeah. this down to Laurent. Would you like to uh, take the reins here and say it again, all for us? Mythical, magical bullshit. <laughs> I will say though, if it's centered around L.A., Los Angeles, this area of Southern California in general. There's a set timeline of when this person can exist and this thing to have started. I would put it roughly between from current current era, so from this year, I would say around 10,000 to 14,000 years ago is the very earliest that it could have ever happened. I would say the, the 16 to 1700s, around the Spanish colonization for it to have taken effect. If he is a Native American who has chosen to take on the form of a white dude screwing everyone over by a capitalism, I will be so disappointed in him. That's fair. Like, like okay. just we, we are, in general. We are in a whirlpool of disaster right now, so I'm going to take us <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> and let's have a bit of a chat about uh, Lacey's most recent dive. I... Yes, Kato. <laughs> Just, what was the point of this scene? Like, it was a really good scene. Sam and Eric are really good. Uh, The interaction between Tails and Lacey is amazing. Uh, It's really good. I don't understand why this scene was in this episode. Because we had so much going on, and this didn't really uh, connect with anything else. It was fairly abrupt. Yeah. Also... Other than to give Tails the information, what reason did Lacey have to go into the dark? Like... It felt 
This is the first time in all 12 episodes, and even if you go back as far as TBD and S.H.I.E.L.D., this is the first time I've ever felt, ever, that a scene felt manufactured. It felt a little bit crowbarred into the episode. Yeah, yeah it exactly. felt forced to me, too, yeah. Because I think in addition to the fact that it was basically Lacey going to do a very simple errand that they could have mentioned as an aside, and then it was a lot of Tales-heavy exposition... Um, that set up future motion, like future events in the episode, but it left them with an inability to change the narrative. So, like, I can see its place as a scene if it gave Lacey the information to go, guys, we have to move from dealing with these cl- this clone thing now to Tails is about to drop a huge amount of Callisto 6 energy onto the city and we have to stop it. But knowing this information ahead of time, did not give the players any ability to change the narrative. The fact that the Callisto 6 energy was going to be released, regardless of what Lacey found out here, and regardless of what the players tried to do, makes this scene so frustrating, because it was literally just a very GM-centred, Eric-controlled flow to the narrative, where the players had no ability to influence what was happening. I mean, at some point, you have to have that, especially with this format. But I don't think it's ever been this forced from Eric. Yeah, I think it's definitely a a victim of limitation of time. Yeah. And this is, this is something where, you know, he's learning his pacing. So he, he may have run up to the end of the time he was given. And he realized that, Oh crap, I didn't spend enough time speeding up this, the, the pace to get to this point. And so he had to kind of cram all this in, in the last episode. But I don't think this foreshadowing is necessary. Like, I think the episode would have been better served by not having the scene between Lacey and Tails and are only foreshadowing the fact that more people have got superpowers being either the explosion coming right at the end of the episode and not being connected to what they then had to do with the train um, or just Marquis's report at the end. Because, like, this is a lot of information that really sets up season two. And the fact we're finding it out now and not in season two means that people who maybe jump on in season two are going to be confused because they won't have seen the scene. Um, and also it means that our resolution of season one is broken down by this, which is very explicitly not something that is tied up in this in this episode. This is all stuff that makes this episode into, rather than a satisfying conclusion to the first season, a setup for the second season. It kind of feels like issue 11 was the finale and issue 12 was like... 2.0 it's almost the prologue to the next yeah series yeah so i think when talking about tales we do need to discuss a few things one being that tales is hitting a lot of the same villain beats that kraus is the kind of that gentle villain archetype that hyper genius archetype and the punishing the world archetype and it's a little frustrating to get such a similarity between what is basically two major antagonists and the only real major antagonists we've seen. And they've especially got even more prevalent when Tails was basically creating the empty vessels in the exact same way that Fletcher was and doing the exact same thing that Fletcher was. Uh, Do we think that Tails as part of the Fletcher thingy. They were explicitly said to be different. Or maybe Tails learned about what Fletcher was doing 
and he's trying to duplicate it in, in Tails' own way. Kind of thought, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll copy that. I believe they're very, very different, though. Because it seems that Tails, and we saw with the fox in the hand, is kidnapping dreamers and then taking their bodies. Yeah, that's not fun. Pretty Which damn is scary. Wild. And getting into the if you die in the game, you die for real kind of nonsense. Yeah, it just ends up with this whole thing of we had one set of secret minions that we could never know who was who, and now we have two. Just to make it more confusing. Just to make it more confusing. That was a concern. So we have this whole thing of like no one. It's you set up changelings and then you set up a second race of changelings. I feel like Eric just thinks that we the only thing this podcast wants is changelings. And he just, <laughs> I mean, he's trying, to, he's trying our, so hard, you guys. We, we, he's giving us we missed out on that in Shield of Tomorrow. We get a double dose in uh, Callisto Six. There you go. Is it me? Did I do this? I think I like the fact that there are two different approaches to this minion thing and the idea that you can't always know the loyalty of the person you're talking to. I like that we're getting parallels between these two villains. What I don't like is that we're not having a diversity of villains. Like, it's great that there are parallels between the way these two are acting, but like fundamentally, it's roughly the same type of character and I want to see different villains. I want to see really bombastic... Um, I want to see super you know, villains. Yeah, I want to see super villains, but I also want to see villains whose motivations are very, very different. Because um, really, all I've seen are two different people who want power and control and want to hurt people and don't really care about their methods. And what I want is, you know, people who are trying to do the right thing, but in a misguided way. And people who are working for other outside influences who are trying to control LA. And, you know, maybe some misguided revolutionaries who are trying to overthrow the city from underneath. Like, I want to see all of that and all of the ways it can be bad. But yes, I think the main thing I want to talk about with, with regards to Tales is the language that they use. So we can pretty much confirm based on the appearance and the way that Tails operates that they are non-human. They are an, an AI or a program of some sort. And yet the language they use is incredibly human-centric, using the concepts of curiosity and uh, understanding complex linguistic tics it makes me feel like Tails is a very interesting AI. Yeah, so like weird Google Assistant yeah. that was demoed like in April, I think it was. It's clearly, if it is an AI, it is a learning AI um, yeah. that is slowly grown to a, an enormous size. But it's a learning AI still follow simple patterns and would not I really be able to understand the concept of tempting someone i mean it's possible it could have studied uh human behavior through just going online just looking at videos that have been uploaded tv shows all, all that kind of thing that's a very good library of how humans behave throughout the entire world if you do enough of that you're gonna quickly pick up on how a human works as well as the concept of pain yeah, I mean, you know, Tails talked about, you know, he wanted everybody to feel the pain that he was feeling, like he did. That was, a, again, that was another, to, to build on your point, that was a very 
intriguing, interesting word choice for what we thought at this point was just a very powerful program. Yeah, it's... It also l- l- lends me to think that Tales is old. Like, from 2017, maybe? Even. No, yeah, like, could be... I, I think definitely pre-C-Day. Yeah. So and- it begs the question, does it actually have its roots in the real-life operating system that is around? Mm. There's so, like, Tales fascinates me from a existence standpoint. And I really want to know more about where they came from, what they actually are, whether they are physically located anywhere. We want their origin story. Because mm. we could have, like, the computer in Fallout that is controlling the, the super mutants and that, or something like that. But we also could just have something that exists only in the web. It's so a I, Sega I, Saturn which went bad. Like a ghost in the machine, literally. Yeah. Oh god, it's Skynet. <laughs> yeah, it could be Skynet. Like, or Skynet, yeah. There's so much potential for what Tails could be, and... Also, the voice is just unnerving. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Eric's wonderful with that kind of creepy voice. Mm. But again, it's also treading on... Kylan also had a creepy, unnerving voice. <laughs> so, again, again, it's seeing a lot of parallels. I want versatility and variety same as Kato so I think with that I, we should talk about the kind of the train nonsense that happened in the end of the episode it was good nonsense it was great nonsense it was very like classic superhero save the civilians it felt very comic booky and yeah. I loved it it felt very yes. classic this is the kind of thing you'd read in a comic or watch on TV in a superhero show and the suspense was there, the drama was there, the, you know, helpless civilians were all there. It was, in <laughs> in that respect, I think it was really, really well put together. And what I really liked is how cohesive they now seem to be as a team and also how well Synapse fit into the group as well. So in the same way that Cobalt really vibed with them as well, Synapse seems to have a really good dynamic with them as well and, and both of them in their own ways have fit quite well into the dynamic of the the, the main six. I don't think he really gave them a choice. I mean, yeah, there is that. Like, like <laughs> you can't stop Synapse from helping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still surprised they haven't gotten their like secret disguises or costumes yet. Oh no! But and their faces are now all over social media. I think that it's pointless now to have they're disguises on face. because they're recognized. Especially given the fact that a huge number of people are now superheroes as well, probably so. And Being super a super-powered individual is not necessarily as recognisable in season two as it was in season three. Yeah. Um, I you do think season hard... one. Oh yeah, hmm. numbers. Anyway, <laughs> I, I do. Yeah, I'm from the future. I do think it's interesting because it ties back to the rescue that they conducted in like the second or third episode from those people with Luma's brothers, um, and it's a continuation of that moment. And it's the first time we've really seen another moment like that of them getting out there and making a difference in a physical way. I do think it is really disconnected from the rest of the episode because it doesn't really directly address any of the problems the episode raises. So it's not addressing Krauss and Oniko and the Fletcher control and it's not addressing Tails and the energy release. So it feels like 
a bit out of place in that it's not connected to anything else. It did kind of feel like it could just about slot into any kind of episode. I mean, I, I guess because it's such a classic comic book setup, but in that way, it's kind of also it didn't have any impact on anything on all their problems. So it's just you have to now save the civilians, which was cool, and we got to see them work cohesively as a team we got to see them use all their powers and all their cunning to do it it's it's good fun but um yeah you're right it didn't tie back into the tales or the fletcher thing so i feel like the big problem is it didn't really provide the climax to the season so if they'd spent all of the season rescuing small numbers of people and this was the most oppressive and most audacious rescue they'd done then it might feel more like this is a climactic end to the season because they've only really done one other rescue of this type in the season and they've really been focused more on corporate espionage type activities. It did feel a little jarring in that way just because it wasn't much like the rest of the season in that way. I can agree with that. I I can agree with that, but uh, also I have a feeling that, you know, they were on the last episode, some of the pacing was a little off, so having that in there, it, it did seem odd, but it also leaves those questions like you're talking about with, with Onigo and Fletcher and Tails and the energy release. It leaves those open to be explored in season two. So maybe it's sort of, it was a little bit of foreshadowing, like I said, setting up season two and different things that they're going to have to deal with in that but yeah it, it kind of seemed out of place I think it would have happened earlier in the episode like that whole situation happened earlier in the episode I don't think there would have been that much of a problem with it but because it it pretty much butted up to the end of the episode it, it, it sort of took away from the impact I think the whole thing is that it, it could have not been there and the impact of the episode would have maintained the same level. I think perhaps to incorporate it more into the episode, what could have perhaps happened is that Tails could have used this runaway train as a distraction for the team so that he, uh, so that Tails could then enact its plan to release the Callisto 6 energy. Exactly. It could have been stop the energy or save the people, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just really, as much as it's great that there's a lot of questions left open for the, the next season, really what we're ending up with, like, even Tails is an addition on this episode that adds a new problem rather than answering a previous problem. Like, if you look at the whole of season one, what you're seeing is a season that is built around Kylan Krauss and kind of corporate control of LA and trying to uncover the conspiracies around him. So... That really only happens in the first half of this episode. And what you want is a climax that is focused around that, really. And even Tails, I would argue, is a bit of a distraction from that. What you want is a conflict with Onoko, or with another Krauss clone, or with some element of that world, because that's what the rest of Season 1 has been driving towards. And that's why it doesn't necessarily work as a climax for Season 1, because it doesn't necessarily deal with any of the problems of Season 1 and give us a satisfying conclusion. It's just all cliffhanger. Yeah, it's a it's a climax for an episode, not for a season. Yeah. Like Jerome should have broken out and then it would have been a thing of like he is super powered in public, people recording it, and then 
they're super powered and only the re- the really the only people that can actually handle him. Yeah, it it could have been anything, but I think it needed to be connected a bit more to Fletcher and to that world than these problems, which are very new. Because I think we really concluded a lot of the season one arc last episode, and this, like even Jerome breaking out, I could see as the stinger on the end of an episode. Like, we've taken down Onoko, we've removed all the corporate clones, we feel like we're safe, we've done all of the work thanks to Snaps' information, we've got this, like, beautiful setup, we've taken Fletcher out of the system. Oh dear, Jerome's missing. And that would be a good hook for season two, because you get most of the resolution to season one, but there's a little something more to drag you into season two. Whereas this whole episode, the first half is, you know when you thought season one was resolved? No, it isn't, here's a bunch of extra complexity. And then here's a different problem and another different problem. So it meant I didn't really follow the purpose of the episode because there were three different things going on that weren't interconnected and it didn't feel satisfying as a conclusion. Yeah, so pulling away from the kind of narrative thread there, I think it does really highlight this moment and it was the same with the previous like rescue mission, the, the nature of Cypher when it comes to set pieces and cinematic play. And he's really, really good at just playing very fast and loose and being able to have these impressive situations that players can say i'm going to try this crazy thing and do it like Cass punching through the bottom of the train oh yeah the whole uh i have to give amy Dallin credit for having Cass try to be fred flintstone yeah trying to do some some crazy <laughs> things and then allowing the storyteller to actually embrace that in fiction in system is a really fun thing to do out of the cipher system. And that wraps up season one of Callisto six. Lots of interesting things happened. Maybe too many interesting things where it got a little bit confusing when we started talking about avatars. We'll get back to that season two. So what do we all think kind of just overarching on the narrative threads currently? I think this series building on what they learned from S.H.I.E.L.D. Because while S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't have these time restraints, it still had very obvious kind of story arcs that they went through. I think they have learned a lot in this series about pacing from both Eric's perspective as a storyteller and the players. And I think uh, in a lot of ways, it was very kind of fresh and had a lot of issues with its pacing at times. But other times, I think it learnt from its mistakes and was had some really good pacing and some really well-paced and well-timed episodes. And I think they're going to build on that in season two because this is, to Geek and Sundry, this is a format across the board that is brand new. They have never done a episodic show that has exactly 12 episodes per season and that's it. Yeah, I can tell that there's a lot of experimentation going on and this format I think it's a good format overall. It's going to take a little time to really whittle down the rough edges and really hone in on that pacing and things like that. But overall, I like the way how there's like a set chunk. We got a little confused at the end, but I think overall, Eric had a really good idea of what this first chunk was supposed to be. And, you know, he'll learn how to maybe trim down some of the fat so that it feels more flowy to get to those big set pieces in season two. I 
I agree. Like it's it's got the bones of a really good story. It just needs some polish as to how that applies. I would almost disagree with you, Lauren. I think in many ways Eric was kind of too ambitious for this first season. Um, there was a lot going on. And it was very complicated and. Like, I think of just, like, Sal, whose resolution comes entirely in the recap of this episode and kind of the elements where the players don't have as much control on what happens in the world. And I think that maybe reflects that we had a point we had to get to at the end of the season. We had to get to the Measure Z vote. We had to get to this point of this um, this fulcrum, this changing of the world. And I think we didn't have the space in the rest of the season to really take an episode or two to deal with Sal in the way that the players wanted to and take an episode or two to spend a bit longer getting to know these characters and doing things on a more small scale because they were instantly thrust into such a huge and complicated and messy plot. Um, so I, I don't necessarily want them to trim the fat of good player interaction or those little side moments like Sal away from the thing. I think perhaps they need to trim the bigger plot make that more streamlined so there is more space to do those other little things that are the best and tastiest bits of RPG. Yeah, and I think that was more what I was going for. I may have used the wrong the wrong terminology. There were definitely too many like big things that were put in there and the extras, those big bits, I think probably could have been trimmed down maybe for a season two reveal. Mm. Well, I think it really comes down to there is... Generally, when you are having any kind of long-term uh, entertainment media, you can either tell a story episodically or serialized. And right now, C6 kind of sits in the middle. It's we, like Voyager all over again. Yeah, it's that whole thing of, like, you look at DS9 versus TNG. Like, it's complete different oper- different ends of the spectrum. And I think we need to have a commitment one way or the other with C6. I think another problem with season one, with you know why it straddled that line, is this is a completely new world. Eric has to do a lot of exposition to get the the viewers caught up and, and sort of put in speed. Like um, it was mentioned that they have a basically a lore bible. The players do. But we as viewers do not. So Eric had to put a lot of that out there so that the players, uh, the, the, so the things that the players are mentioning and that he's mentioning, that the viewers have that. It's a lot of exposition and it's, a, and it's reminiscent of that uh, season ones of a lot of TV shows. You know, they're trying to get everything set up and going. They have to do a lot of exposition. I don't think he's mastered that just yet. I think he put maybe a little too much in. Well, the thing about lore is that it is inherently uninteresting. Lore is only interesting when it is involved with the story and with drama. So getting info dumps honestly isn't a great form of interacting with the world for players or viewers. The way, the way that we were introduced to Rough City, for example, was really great because we weren't told about Rough City. We were on Rough City and experiencing it. So I think we needed to see more of that kind of lore exposition as opposed to this is everything here. Yeah, the, the early episodes, it was like that. It was just like a real brief description and then it sort of got fleshed out by the players 
where you got more of a feel for it. But then later on, it just it became more and more exposition heavy. I think Eric was just he wanted to get it, that information out there to people, but it it kind of hurt the later episodes a little bit. I do agree. I think he was also feeling the time pressure, like things like Sal um, being resolved, kind of in a recap, expressed to me that like there were things that happened Eric didn't anticipate. Or maybe they were expected to, say, make the decision about Corporate Kraus earlier because they spent an awfully long time in the early part of this season trying to decide whether or not to go corporate. And, like, that dilly-dallying, like, that kind of player decision and that agonising might hold up your GM. Like, if they'd made that decision earlier, what else could they have found out earlier that would have brought the time frame of the, of the whole season earlier? So I think it it's interesting, but I think it does reflect kind of this idea that the players should have control and that to a certain extent you cannot plan for the players making decisions fast enough to get where you want to go and I think really like the end of the season was a very fixed time point and we ended up having to rush just because we had to get to that end and we had to get to the vote and I think giving the players more flexibility not having a set concept of where the end of the season is going to be but letting it come out with kind of just one way or another you must address this question by the end of the season and whether that takes them a month in game or a year in game or a day in game it doesn't matter as long as you give the players the space to make the choices about how proactive they are being about stuff yeah i think that's a, a pretty good segue into a discussion on the six themselves i actually think the characters themselves are probably my favorite part of the series I think we had a really interesting mix of personalities and powers. And obviously the powers themselves were predetermined beforehand, so no one was going to have the same powers. But I also think that the powers themselves complement each other really well. And you have a really well-formed team with lots of different aspects. Whilst the actual mechanics of the team might be a slightly biased build towards intelligence, on a role-playing basis, you've actually got a really nice mix. And I think the personalities are different enough to gel really well together without being too similar, but also not so different that people's ideals are clashing to a point where you wonder why they even interact. Yeah, that was kind of a worry at the beginning, especially with Cass and Anton, because those two characters seemed to be very diametrically opposed. The risk was Anton was an asshole. R right, but he was, like I said, he was very pro-corporate, and, and, you know, Cass is very, very anti-corporate. You he know, was, he wasn't we were so, enough. Yeah. <laughs> but... It was nice to see that they're they're finding middle ground, where it could have went the completely opposite direction, and it could have actually hurt the show more. Yeah, I think they wouldn't have done that. It would be doing Oya and Luma and Lacey a disservice to suggest that they would put up with that kind of thing from Anton, because um, they also like clearly are very similar, and it's like it was very definitely those four versus the more corporate people at the start. That was kind of the the, the scary divide, I think. I remain super fascinated by Amy's build for Cass. It's a little odd. I don't think it's a bad build at all. I know that we spend a lot of time going, where are all of her points if they're not in strength? <laughs> um, but that just makes it more intriguing. Um, I think 
there is a lot of depth to Lacey as a character, but it n- isn't necessarily in the diversity of the mechanical build of Lacey. Lacey has one thing that they are very good at, and while Sam is very good at applying that, it's not necessarily that we're going to see different off-the-wall applications of Lacey's powers in the same way that I think Cass still has more to reveal about her capabilities and what she's got going on that isn't just punching stuff. So she's the one, mechanically, I'm most interested in. Definitely. Lacey's versatility comes from the wardroid, I think. Yeah, that, that that's... The Pokemon nature of Lacey may end up counteracting <laughs> their weakness of lack of versatility. They're not... It's not that they're not versatile. They are versatile. It's just that it's not a mechanical versatility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their versatility comes from the fact that computers are everywhere. But the thing that they will do to those computers mechanically doesn't change from... doesn't vary that much depending on what computer it is. Basically, Lacey is a better application of the Watch Dogs concept than Watch Dogs did. I don't know Basically, what you're talking yeah. about. But yeah, like, it's the point is... It's a video game that did I'll just not things. agree. Yeah, it's matter. a video game about hacking and things like don't that. Care. Uh, the point is, mechanically, Cass is the most interesting because I don't think we've seen mechanically all of Cass. We may have seen mechanically all of Lacey, but that doesn't mean narratively Lacey will be boring. It just means mechanically they might be less interesting. Gotta get that good crunch. I hate you so much. <laughs> I still don't know what crunch means. It's not it doesn't a matter. Word. It's a real word. I don't know what crunch means, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. <laughs> so I think we also should um, mention, outside of the, the main six, who are wonderful, we also had, uh, and it's generally one of Eric's biggest strengths, NPCs. Every NPC had so much life. I'm still vouching for Mike the Bike Guy from episode one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. From, from Mike the Bike Guy to the Funnel Cake Guy, who I've forgotten the name of. It doesn't matter. Elliot. He's just Elliot. 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 Yeah, thank you. Up, no, up, thank to, up to Kylan. And we're seeing such a variation on archetypes of people. We had the dads who were lovely as well. I'm doing the math in my head and I think we need more women. We we have had a slight male bias, but I th- I believe that is a Kylan thing because we had seven Kylans. Yeah, but one of the, one of the flesh Kylan bias. Is, yeah. is, is on a curve, so... Um, yeah, like, I do want to see more versatility in villains. I want to see them moving away from just Fletcher and Tails, both of whom have similar things going on. We've we've been over this, but I think NPC-wise, that's perhaps the biggest weakness. The people are very realistic, and there is life in every part of the city, and that's amazing, but the villains are cut from entirely the same cloth. Give me some chain mail. Callisto 6 energy release, that will mean more ver- villain versatility in the next series so that's that's kind of what i was trying to get at basically i i would love to see uh in season two more of the episodes going towards a uh, uh what they call monster of the week episodes very episodic tied up in one session where you meet up with some of these uh you know mutates from the closest six energy. If you want Monster of the Week, you should play Powered by the Apocalypse, a system that literally has a game that is about that. Made for this. Um, and then we had guest players. Quite, quite a lot more than I expected. Yes, big shout out to Mark Mir, Xander Genre, and Talison Jaffe for, for bringing uh, to life three interesting, great, fun characters. They were like a third of the episodes, weren't they? Yeah, we had... Yeah. 
almost half being guest episodes. I think one of the things I really like about the guests Eric's brings on typically is that you have a really nice mix between staple geek and sundry presences like Xander and Talison and then lesser known faces like Mark. I had no idea who Mark was before he came on. So it's that bringing in of really interesting people that you wouldn't necessarily immediately peg as somebody to bring on as a guest. Like Talison and Xander, whilst I think they are incredible and I was so excited to see them, this isn't kind of a, a slate on them at all. They're people you expect to guest. Talison was inevitably going to guest on Callisto <laughs> 6 at some point. And Xander obviously guested on Shield of Tomorrow, so it was very likely he was going to come back. But Mark is someone completely new. But I do think that Eric really does champion those interesting and really diverse guests. And I think that's something I really, really like. And I think that's a strength he definitely plays to. Speaking of diverse guests, it is not impossible to note that all of the people that guested this series were white dudes. I would like for that not to be a trend that continues. They all had a lot to give. They're all fantastic role players. But I think, Jesus, we could really like... I would really like to see more women, particularly women of colour, just doing stuff. I know that the cast is predominantly women, but I still think, you know, that is a balance we can redress generally, and more people of colour would be great because, um, you know, that, that just is an underrepresented community. And I think, uh, <laughs> while I guess we had were great, I am still looking for more representation and more varied representation in the people that are guesting. Definitely. And I think we will see that. And I think with this whole discussion, kind of, it. You look at Eric when he first put together Shield of Tomorrow, and we had people we'd never seen before, like Elisa, who had only kind of just come out of the blue into Nerdist as well, and Hector, who was a major player in other places. But I agree 100%. And I hope that, like, with Marquia doing the, um, the kind of sign off bit of the news. Marquia for Lois Lane! Marquia for Lois Lane. Yeah, if we get Marquia in-game as a reporter, I, that would be great. I want that so badly. That is one of the like my top things. Is just I would be so happy. You do, you do need a classic reporter in there, yeah. Mm. And I, I really do want to see what someone like B-Dave will do with E6 and just make something really interesting happen. I mean, Talison has what... kind of stolen his thunder by being a clone of Clive and Crafts. I feel like that is yeah, exactly yeah. what B-Dave would have done if he had had the choice. Yeah. Yeah, but B-Dave would probably just play a robot. No humanity. <laughs> if he plays a robot, then I think that would change the plot too much relative to Sweet Baby. Because B-Dave as Sweet Baby. B-Dave is Sweet Baby, mm. confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> Get on it, Eric. <laughs> yes, Sweet Sweet Baby chooses its own name, and it is B-Dave. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so we had some really fun guests and uh, I agree with Kato I would love to see some more uh, variation in the guests both in the kind of people that come and also in the characters they play give me my characters please please we had... I think we might have had one of each from the guests I, I don't think Kochi was a was a my character Kochi wasn't a really strong Basically, he was more a he wasn't. He was more run and gun. He, he was a run and gun. He was a thief. He wasn't very strong in anything though. Like he wasn't speed in the same way that Snaps was, or intellect. Cut you sucks. Pass it on. 
I believe that Kochi was a speed, uh, maybe speed might hybrid, but speed mainly. Mm. Dude could take a lot of damage. That's uh, for sure. Th- damage is meaningless in this system. <laughs> that is in no way true. You're just. And the grumpy. dude took zero damage. <laughs> he just he got a shot. Damage. He took a lot of bullets. <laughs> he took a lot of bullets. It didn't take any damage. <laughs> He'd make such a great bodyguard. But we're getting off track. So I think, kind of wrapping on season one, I think we're all very excited for season two and the potential story options we have available. We're all very excited for Overlight coming up and Elisa in the GM's chair and a completely new set of uh, people playing. Like some familiar to GNS, we have Rachel and Amy, and then some new new people we've never seen before, who I'm very excited for. One of whom is a Power Ranger. Yay! So let's and get hype. One of the other players is Havana. Uh, yeah, Havana Rama is another. She, she's been around uh, GNS for uh, time to time. Mm. So I think I'm really excited to see what Elisa does with that, and to kind of get a almost like a palate cleanser in this kind of different system, different world. Hype to see some bird people. Give me some Rito. So I think wrapping on this episode, wrapping on season one, I'm going to kind of go around the circle and give me one thing that you're excited to have and looking forward to in season two. I think we'll start off with that. More lacy dads, more lacy dads, more lacy dads. <laughs> I said it three times for emphasis. A lacy dad who lacy, <laughs> a lacy dad, lacy dad who lacy dads? Yeah. Also, who Lacey dads. Okay, cool. Who dads Lacey. Who dads Lacey? Yeah. Okay, got it. If I got the Invisible Sun um, character classification system, I could make it longer. Oh, please don't. Mm-hmm. Invisible Sun is so complicated. <laughs> uh, but we, we'll get there. <laughs> KC. <laughs> um, just to play off what we were just talking about earlier, I'd like to see more guests on there. I'd like to see me, Dave. I'd like to see uh, Erica Ishii see how she would do in it Markea, uh, Markea. Um, bring it, uh, hopefully bring in some other people that haven't been really focused on in GNS or haven't been around you know similar to like Mark Muir was and I want Marisha Ray to finally play a character <laughs> she that was supposed be to be on Shield of Tomorrow and it never worked out let it work out for season 2 <laughs> so for me personally I am really excited for how the superhero identities shape up and whether we go full campy kitsch like superhero names superhero costumes or like what happens i really just want some fun like mr fantastic-esque names that are just really dumb but that's just because i like x-men and they all have stupid names mr fantastic is not an x-man you fool yes i was more referring to like wolverine and cyclops Juggernaut, they all are terrible names, but I love them. Mr. Fantastic is not even a mutant. Multiple man. What? I just... Oh, what about that weird X-Men that has that weird skin that he can stretch? Ew, he's so disgusting. There's, there's lots of weird things. Wait, Kato, did you just... Were you pulling out some deep X-Men lore? No, just Mr. Fantastic isn't a mutant. He, oh, yeah, yeah. He... Sorry, I thought you said that Juggernaut wasn't a mutant, and then I would have no. been really proud of you. No. Juggernaut is an identity. Uh, I don't think Juggernaut is a mutant because his immovability he's comes not. from the bands of Sycorax. So, like, because yeah. I... He, he's, he is an enhanced p- human, yeah. not a mutant. Yeah. 
I mean, because like Cyclops is occasionally Juggernaut. No, not Cyclops. Colossus Guys, is occasionally Juggernaut. Leave it for the X Men um, podcast. Guys, please. But I'm just proud of Kato for knowing this. <laughs> Let me be a proud dad. I don't okay, know that now. Names. Later. Craig. I would like a Batman or preferably a Batgirl style hero. A, uh, that's a vigilante out there. Did somebody say crime. Batgirl? Do you want with no powers, Craig? Yeah, is it a depowered person or? Hmm, yeah. Probably a depowered vigilante type. Or even a playoff of that, I'd like to see sort of like an Iron Man armored suit type character. Get out of here with that Iron Man bullshit. <laughs> well, not definitely exactly Iron Man, but you know, somebody maybe has like an armored bodysuit. Anyone rich Kochi. enough to make yeah, that works for the corpse. I would argue that's Kochi yeah. actually. Like Kochi's cyber, cyber implants probably are the closest parallel to Iron Man suits you'd get in this universe because it's tech enhancements rather than just being really cool and rather than having superpowers. Yeah, it's but just, yeah, get out of here with that Iron Man nonsense. Kato. I just want more space for the story to breathe. Um, I think Sal's resolution happening off screen in this episode kind of really hurt me because I, I really liked the way the players were interacting with Sal and I wanted to see more of that interaction. Um, and I'm maybe not as invested in the complicated evil corporation plot as I should be. I want to see more kind of character-driven story that is about the players and what the characters are choosing to focus on in the moment. And that is less... The bad guy has done another thing, so now you have to react to it. And it's more the, about the choices the player make and how that affects the world. Yeah, I'd, I'd really enjoy that and enjoy maybe like a Teen Titans-esque specific bad guy for a person. Like we have Tails for Lacey. Tails is no longer just Lacey's problem. But now Tails is no longer just Lacey's problem. Yes. But, off track. Laurent. Now that we've got a base of LA2119, I'd like to see more of Southern California. Outside of just the Angeles National Forest, I'd like to see things like Orange County or the Inland Empire. Places which are geographically close, but culturally have a very different feel. And that's not self-interested at all because you live in Orange County? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to see literally the entire rest of the world and understand the geopolitics yeah, of this countries. incredibly weird country. Um, I want to see a map. Yeah. A proper map of the world just, in 2119. I just want to know if the United States still exists. Like, that would be interesting enough. Just, what has happened to the US? Why is LA allowed to be this incredibly weird enclave thing? What's going on with the rest of the world? Who's in control? Who now sits on, like the Security Council of the UN. Is the UN still a thing? How many world wars have there been in the intervening hundred years? All of that stuff. And with that, and all of those hilariously amazing questions, ending season one of Callisto 6, uh, there is the break, there is overlight happening in the break, so check that out if you can. We will be doing a one episode review of the whole season, all six episodes. And then in the interim, we'll be releasing uh, episodes of our Star Trek RPG, GM'd by the lovely Kato, a.k.a. Kato. And I think it's all going to be quite a fun time. Kato, do you have a name for the the game? No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really need, realize I needed one. Above decks. Oh, it's a... Beside decks. Between <laughs> Beside decks. Beside decks. <laughs> um, Deck squared. Yeah. Um, 
Get off Overboard. my deck. Overboard. Um, dex, 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 dex. Um, dex, dex, dex. But uh, that will be on our Below Dex feed. Yeah. Yes, that'll be on the Below Dex feed, uh, and we'll release the uh, kind of overlight review on the regular Callisto 6 pod feed. And I think with that, you can follow Raft City Radio Podcast on Twitter at Callisto6Pod or email us at raftcityradio at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store, and we would gladly appreciate it if you decide to leave a rating or write a review. We now have a Patreon and a coffee. Links to both can be found on Twitter. Support us on Patreon for early access to our episodes and for bonus content. Our show notes for this episode can be located at www.roughcityradio.com forward slash episode forward slash 12. Our theme song is Cephalopod by Kevin MacLeod, and you can find his work at www.incompetech.com. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned to this frequency.